This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. I'm Alex Smythe filling in for Dave Brown. Let's catch up with Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuaig to find out what was making news this weekend. Good morning, Michelle. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Enjoyed a nice weekend. There were some big news stories that happened on the weekend, though, and uh, you wanted to chat about some of them, including one we did. (laughs) As per usual. And and one we did kind (laughs) of touch on at the top of the show, which is the union and the Ontario government coming to an agreement, a tentative deal uh, for the education workers. So why did you want to uh, cover this one? Well, yes, they've reached a tentative deal, sort of. This is, you hear the words tentative deal and nine times out of 10, you think, okay, great, cool, we're we're resolved, we're not going to hear about this anymore. But there's a a bit of a wrinkle with this one. Last week, uh, there were negotiations ongoing between the Ontario government and QP, which is the Canadian Union of Public Employees, and they they support about 55,000 education workers in Ontario. Those negotiations were not going well from QP's perspective, and they filed strike notice on the grounds that the government was not offering any more money to raise staffing levels in schools. They had settled the wage issue that caused the the, the two-day walkout earlier this month, uh, but they said they were going to keep pushing for staffing levels, and they were prepared to go on strike over that as well. When the tentative deal was announced yesterday, uh, it's pretty customary not to have a lot of new terms revealed right out of the gate. But what jumped out yesterday was that QP said basically this is the exact same deal that was tabled last week. Nothing has changed. The government would not budge. The staffing level concerns that QP was raising have not been addressed at all in this setup. But here we are anyway with a quote-unquote tentative agreement. So this is looking like a pretty big win for the government at the moment. QP's position is that the membership has indicated they want to be able to weigh in on this. So that is where we stand now. Uh, Classes are in session. There are no cancellations at the moment, but the ratification process will get underway on Thursday. And given some of the uh, vocal opposition to some of the government actions we've seen from, from QP members in recent weeks, I, for one, I'm going to be quite interested to see what happens with this ratification. I don't know if it's going to be the kind of straightforward deal that we usually see when we get into labor disputes like this. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And this was something that was really surprising to me as well. As you mentioned, uh, Laura Walton, who's the the uh, president of the the Ontario uh, uh, board, school board uh, for representing Coopy, and she said, yeah, th- this is essentially the same deal that was on the table last week. Uh, when when they filed notion to two strikes, so it's like, okay, but what's changed between well, now and then? Exactly, and, and honestly, that was the thrust of the, all the questions. I was watching that news conference as our reporter Allison Jones, who's been covering this at length for CP, uh, was was taking part. And every reporter's question was very much along the same lines: "Is like, okay, no, let me get this straight. <laughs> Nothing's changed." Next question: No, no, just just for clarification, just for clarity. Has anything at all changed? <laughs> we, we were all kind of struggling to wrap our heads around what was going on here because it's quite unusual. But no, Laura Walton, you're right, made it very clear. The offer on the table is identical to the one proposed last week that the union did not see as adequate. What's changed from their perspective? The only answer they would give is that they think they should throw it open to the membership. But I I, I, I don't know. The sense really, uh, the, I think the consensus position is that the government simply refused to budge any further. Yeah. Now, do you think that the 
optics or or the position to strike and and kind of the negative reaction or backlash from the public towards Coopy if they did actually go forward with the strike? Do you think that kind of played the role in them taking this deal to the members? I, I can't imagine it wouldn't be a factor uh, because there were certainly would be a certain amount of backlash. They do have a certain amount of support too. But the other factor to consider, I suspect, is that they did gain a really big win a couple of weeks ago when the Ontario government said that they would climb down and repeal the law that invoked the notwithstanding clause. That this, was, this was the law that was going to ban QP workers' right to strike. Uh, it was going to impose a contract on them, but that was not negotiated. And, and most importantly, from the perspective of big labor, it was going to invoke the notwithstanding clause preemptively, which would have meant that it was basically immune from any kind of charter challenge. So when the government said that they were going to repeal that law if QP went back to work, that was due to massive solidarity from big labor across the country. That was a huge win to get that law repealed, to sort of take away that use of the notwithstanding clause to to preempt uh, all kinds of, of efforts to challenge a law that was very controversial in the first place. So maybe this also is a bit of a sense of QP saying, you know what, we, we won that particular war. Maybe we're not going to win this one. We have to pick our battles a bit more strategically. It's it's hard to say. There was no real sense at this point of what took place behind closed doors, but it's certainly not a straightforward labor situation. Uh, well, yeah, and, and as you mentioned, that uh, that uh, 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 law and the passing of the notwithstanding clause was what led to that first walkout, which wasn't a strike, according to Laura Walton. It, it was a, a protest and a walkout. But uh, And then once they repealed that law, they brought them back to the table, and it's led to this, this deal now. This yeah, I mean, look, let's be clear. She's calling it a walkout. Yeah. The day that they walked out was the day that they had earmarked for their strike. Yeah. Call it what you will. <laughs> Classes were out for two days. But yeah, you're right. They, I mean, the, the big, big win yeah. for big labor was to get that promise from the government to repeal the bill. And the government has, in fact, made good on that promise. And the bill, that, uh, that bill was, in fact, repealed last week. And, and so now it goes to their members for voting, which I believe starts on Thursday. Do you think that That's right. uh, do you believe that it's going to pass or do you think we're going back for another round of these negotiations? It's truly anyone's guess. Uh, this is where I'm, I'm simply not sure. Usually, I, I can't think of that many instances when a, a tentative deal goes to ratification and does not pass. But this is not an ordinary deal, as we've heard. Um, so I, I, I simply <laughs> I don't want to guess what the membership will do. It's a yeah. huge membership, for one thing. And, and we simply don't know how it's going to play out. But we do know that QP has been highly mobilized on this one. So if there were to be some pushback and, and the deal was rejected, that wouldn't entirely shock me, to be honest. Yeah, we may be talking about this next Monday, Michelle. Who knows? We'll stay no. tuned. But, and uh, and bra- brace yep. yourselves, Ontario. There's still two more big teachers unions that need to actually three, I believe, that need to negotiate contracts with the government. So labor unrest on the education front in this province, I don't think it's anywhere near over. Absolutely. Now, you also <laughs> wanted times. to touch on the World Cup a bit. I, I was a bit surprised. I, I I didn't take you for a bit of a sports fan, but you don't want to oh, talk about scores. <laughs> you don't want to talk about scores or games. You want to talk about something else. So why did you want to touch on the World Cup? I mean, I have to say what one perk of this job is that it forces me to get educated on things that I'm not that knowledgeable about, like no. soccer, for instance. Um, this is a big deal. Canada has made the World Cup for the first time since the mid-1980s. Uh, this is a team that has, this will, this will only be Canada's second appearance in the World Cup. Uh, during the, our last appearance there, we had, we never scored a goal. So we have, we have yet to put a Canadian goal on the board at a World Cup game. Um, 
that those mat we have three guaranteed matches and the first one of those comes up on Wednesday. So there's a lot of excitement building around that and, and the team sort of coalescing and finding its groove despite a number of injuries. Um, but there's a whole kind of social subtext playing out behind the World Cup, which I'm finding very interesting. And I'm not even talking about all the drama with FIFA and the, the, its president's uh, very peculiar speech over the weekend for those who didn't see it. I recommend you check it out. It's uh, unusual. Yeah. Um, but an interesting piece of this is human rights complaints surrounding the host country of Qatar. Uh, a number of groups have raised concerns about the labor that was used to to build World Cup facilities. Um, Qatar is still a country that outlaws homosexuality. They have a, a dubious human rights record, to say the least. And what's what's interesting now is even as the team is is getting ready for its moment in the spotlight. Amnesty International is taking Soccer Canada to task for not apparently being vocal enough about defending human rights and speaking up against the offences in Qatar. Uh, other global soccer federations have been a lot more vocal and, and pushed for change and, and condemned a number of practices. According to Amnesty International, Soccer Canada has been silent on these matters. And they're quite actively pushing for, for a lot more action and involvement from Soccer Canada, which is going to be new territory for this organization that is not really accustomed to the global spotlight in the same way that other international organizations are. Yeah, absolutely. Soccer Canada is already dealing with enough uh, issues within domestically within their own negotiations with, with the players <laughs> as they're trying to negotiate a new deal and contract as well and, and, and trying to figure that out. You add on to the Amnesty International call for for more action and then internationally you you see what uh, uh just came out recently with the uh, fifa that there were seven uh, european nations who were planning to have one love armbands as Arm a band, yeah, and, that's and a fifa too. fifa threatened to to give out yellow cards for any captain who was seen wearing them so it's a really interesting pol- geopolitical situation that's playing out in the sports world so i'm i'm interested to see how this plays out the next couple of weeks, especially as we start to get into the competition, if this continues or if these issues kind of simmer and get put aside for the sport at hand. But that's something we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I totally agree. But it is fascinating. This is an event that clearly has something for everyone, the hardcore soccer fan and the one who's a little more interested in the geopolitical events and our those of us like those on the show who are really fascinated by the intersection between sport and and politics or international affairs. So uh, something for everyone at the World Cup, which is now officially underway as of yesterday. Absolutely. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. We'll be talking with you later in the week. Sounds great. Have a good one, Alex. Yeah, take care. So that was Michelle McQuig, who is the weekend news editor with the Canadian Press. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.